You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 69, Scooby-Hoo's Haunted House. <laughs> I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. I'm scared. Well, don't be scared. Why? It's not helpful. <sighs> but I can't help it. Too bad. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? The, uh, the, the creepy crawly, uh, episode was kind of fun, actually. I like it. <laughs> did you, did you hide behind your couch? Well, I, I watched it, uh, in my room in the dark and I was sufficiently, really? uh, I did, I did, <laughs> uh, not with the, not with the 3D sound as far as I know, but because <laughs> I watched it on bbcamerica.com. But it was good. I liked it. But we'll get into that here in a minute. So <laughs> this is a good episode. Um, that being said, before we jump into Knock Knock, let's really quick go back to last week's episode, Thin Ice, and get some of your thoughts on that. So, obviously, we spent an entire episode talking about Thin Ice last week. Right. So, we want to get some of your thoughts on that now as well. On our Facebook group page, which is uh, linked through our Facebook page, um, where we're having a lot of nice, fun discussion, Christopher Baggett gave us the simple thought, hashtag, remember Pete. <laughs> who's Pete? To which Paul, yeah, to which Paul <laughs> replied, hashtag, who's Pete? <laughs> And then uh, Chris Clark uh, said that he enjoyed it, and he said, um, I say it was probably the weakest of the season so far, but it had some great moments. The doctor punching out the racist was amazing. It had a few elements of the empty child with all the kids and their relationships. The doctor and Bill continued to have great interactions. I loved him pranking her about the friend that disappeared. You know, hashtag remember Pete. Their relationship <laughs> is really good so far. So yeah, thoughts about any of those responses, Paul? 
I think we've already probably covered them in our last episode, to be perfectly yeah. honest about it. But uh, no, I, that was actually something that I meant to mention a little bit more of last week about the whole Pete thing. Because yes. <laughs> it's it's actually a direct callback to the butterfly effect, the movie, or the whole theory of the butterfly effect, you know, where a butterfly can flap its wings on one side of the earth and cause a hurricane on the other side, you know. Or that you can go right. back in time right. and accidentally kill your grandfather and prevent yourself from ever existing, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But if you kill your grandfather <laughs> and never exist, how did you go back in time to begin with? That's what they're <gasps> calling a paradox. <laughs> a paradox? Yeah. <laughs> that was the two doctors featuring Colin Baker and Patrick Troughton. Well, that was also the story of the doctor becoming Beethoven. <laughs> well, the doctor wrote. Was he Beethoven? The doctor wrote all of Beethoven's music, and therefore he had the music to be able to love in order to go back to try to meet Beethoven, etc., etc., etc. Conquer the universe, <laughs> crash the lesser races, unlimited rice pudding, etc., oh. etc. <laughs> oh, you knew you, you knew I was going to go there. You said etc., etc. Calm down, Sylvester. <sighs> Okay, so uh, obviously we are going to get your thoughts on Knock Knock in our next episode. So some of you have already gone and done this. I have already responded on our, our Facebook group page about this. So Yeah, I'm excited. We've got three responses already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I posted it like, you know, 30 yeah. minutes ago as of you know time we were recording. So that's pretty awesome. So if you want to get your thoughts uh, heard and, and read here on this episode, Knock Knock, uh, go to our Facebook page. And click on the groups area, and you'll see our, our group page there. It is a closed group, so you will have to request an invite, um, and we'll go ahead and obviously approve that. But then you are free to discuss at will Doctor Who and the show. So please, go do that. As long as everybody stays kind with one another, we won't have to worry about any problems, and everybody will be cool. <laughs> yes, because should you become unkind, we have the full power of the fan machine. So... Anyway, <laughs> we don't like that machine. No, we don't, but we really use it. <laughs> that being said, in a completely unrelated segue, there's no good way to, to, to move to. We don't have any news this episode, not, at least not that I'm aware of that's, you know, big and large and something that we need to know that's only rumor. Yeah, pretty much the only thing that we're seeing is a rehash of stuff that we've already seen before and speculation about things that we've absolutely no way to be able to, to clearly prove in the first place. Yes. So that being said, we're going to go ahead and skip the news segment again <laughs> this week and just jump into our review discussion on Knock Knock. was written by Mike Bartlett, directed by Bill Anderson, and was originally released May 6, 2017. The brief summary that I have from the Tony's Wiki is as follows. Bill and her friends rent an old house to live in, but the floorboards and walls are creaking, and there's a creepy landlord lurking around. Can the doctor save the day as creatures come crawling out of the wood? All right, so Paul, real quick. Overall thoughts on Knock Knock. Well, actually, 
uh, I kind of saw a few different things in this episode, um, mm. and some of which were kind of callbacks to classic horror tropes and things of that nature. Uh, yeah, of course. I saw some things that made me feel kind of a hammer horror vibe. Yes. Because, you know, they kept showing the outside of the house with the lightning flashing in the background and all of that, you know. So it, you kind of got that that same feeling that you got from those old movies. But then at the same time, because of it being a whole group of young people, you know, and the way they were running around the house and all this kind of stuff, you kind of got, like you said something to me about before the episode started, you kind of got the, a little bit of the vibe of Scooby-Doo Detective Agency feel there. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, in a behind-the-scenes video, uh, Pearl Mackey does say that, that they called themselves the Scooby Gang and yeah. that Bill was Scooby. But yeah, no, no but it's, also, uh, I also kind of got the vibe, especially with the way that the people were dressed and stuff. You kind of got the vibe of like one of those 80s high school or, or young college age movies, sort of like along along the lines of like The Breakfast Club or something, yeah. because they were clearly dressed in a very 80s like garb. So you kind of got that vibe and, and it felt a little bit like you were looking at uh, maybe like the 80s version of of the blob or something, you know? Uh, so there was, there was a lot of different little aspects in there that kind of called back to different period genre horror movie tropes, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I like this episode. It's a fun, fun episode. It's, you know, <laughs> definitely got the creep factor going, but it definitely did not lose my attention at all. <laughs> I will say that. You love bugs, right? Well, I, I don't dislike them. But I'm not, you know, buddy-buddy cuddly with them either. I watched it with my wife. And my wife was going, okay, I'm going to have to put my headphones on and use my tablet for a little while because I just can't handle all these creepy crawly oh, bugs man. all over the screen. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, Which is saying I, something considering that she's so jaded with the horror genre now that she actually laughs at a lot of horror movies. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's one of those things where, where bugs sometimes get to me and sometimes mm -hmm. they don't. It, I, I don't know. It's weird. I, <laughs> these bugs were, were creepy, but it wasn't like super heebie-jeebie creepies. It was just like, oh, that's kind of menacing. You know what they reminded me of a little bit? What? The Cybermats. Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. Cybermats. I'm just saying, you know, a little bit. They, they reminded me a little bit of the Cybermats. I, I can definitely go there. Absolutely. <laughs> I like it. Oh. <laughs> Spoilers. All right. Real quick, though. Let's, let's head into some of the details here. So we get the idea that, you know, Bill is, is moving into a new house. She's moving out of her, yeah. her foster mom's place so she doesn't have to deal with her crazy boyfriends, apparently. And <laughs> she's going to be renting a house with five other students. And, of course, they have to try and find a place that has all the things that they want. You know, six bedrooms, extra room because he's got audio equipment, right. central heating, <laughs> good bathroom situation. And all for a very low, low price. The one girl says, I would prefer under floor heating, please. And the yes. guy's looking at her like, you don't ask for much, do you? Right. <laughs> right. And all for a very low, reasonable price, because they're poor college students. 
So, which of course means either really small or really old in their case. <laughs> in my case too, I'm just saying. <laughs> but oh. we happen to run across the landlord who's hanging outside the agency office when they come out looking very defeated. Yeah. And he offers them this great deal on this big house with all this space and a super low price. Okay, maybe... And they jump on it without thinking about it. <laughs> maybe I've seen too many horror movies, but that would have been a big red flag for me. I would have been like, uh, why is this guy lurking around outside this place to begin with? And this seems really too good to be true. You know? <laughs> you know, and Bill is suspicious of him at first, too. And so, you know, get, you get the vibe right. that, you know, she's like, uh, I would like more information, but everyone else is jumping on board here, so I guess I'll go with them. Peer pressure. <laughs> right. But of course, she enlists the doctor's help in moving, which is a very frivolous use of the TARDIS, if you ask me. <laughs> she says that he needs to rent it out as a moving service. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, man. You could also rent it out for living quarters. The problem is, is you never know where the door is going to end up being, where in town the door is going to end up being. <laughs> or even if the door is in town. Speaking of which... I thought it was really interesting um, how she asked the doctor if he slept there. And he says, if I absolutely need to, <laughs> you know, right. basically. And and she looks at him like, what are you talking about? You know, because, you know, she's getting this impression that he never sleeps. Right. And he's like, well, you know, if I've regenerated or if I have a big lunch, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she's like, regenerated. Right. And he gets this look on his face like. Oh, I said too much. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, he oh. he lets slip what, what race he is, which species he is, Time Lord. And she's making fun of him for that because it sounds so lofty. He's like, well, that's why I ran away. But you're right. He does let the regeneration line slip. And she's like, what's that? He goes, no, never mind. Lesson's over. Uh, Time Lord is enough for now. <laughs> now, see, this is something that bugs me a little bit about the show, probably more so with the new series than it did with the old series because they keep giving you this mixed message clearly the race of people from gallifrey are gallifreyans right right and there is an organization called the time lords but then he tells people that his race is the time lords even though that's technically the hierarchy of the gallifreyan race you see what i'm saying so and it keeps going oh. back and forth and back and forth, and they never really give a real clear-cut and dry answer on this this thing, you know. So, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, the Time Lords are sort of synonymous <laughs> with Gallifrey now, yeah. so it's sort of colloquially they've become the Time Lords rather than Gallifreyans. So I just that's I, my explanation. I don't know. It it just sometimes it bugs me because there's there's leaving things to the imagination and letting people make up their own minds about certain things. And then there's being wishy-washy and flip-flopping on certain things. And, I, you know, those are the situations that bug me sometimes, you know. Gotcha. <laughs> but the doctor's helping Bill move in. And we get this whole interesting dynamic between Bill and the doctor that we haven't seen before, where Bill wants her own space yeah. away from the doctor. And the doctor doesn't seem to want to, you know, just let her go. What did you think of that new wrinkle in their relationship? Well, really, though, if you think about it, it's something that's been sort of progressing more and more since Stephen Moffat took the series over. Because when Davies had the, the series, every single companion that was with the Doctor stayed with the Doctor 24-7. They lived in the TARDIS with the Doctor. They traveled with right. the Doctor. and I mean, Donna just, like, completely moved in. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, and Rose, you know, she came back sometimes to her mom's place, but she didn't stay there. She was just came back to visit, you know? Right. Um, and so when Stephen Moffat took the series over, you started seeing a different dynamic because, you know, you started out seeing Amy living on the TARDIS for a time, but then coming back and picking up Rory and then they lived on the TARDIS together for a time. But then the next thing you know, they're living at home away from the doctor and he's coming back right. to visit. And then we and see then Clara. When Clara comes yeah, on. She's got her own life know, and job. And yeah. Boyfriend. Right. You know, Danny. And Pink the doctor and comes back to visit, you know. Right. So now it's like the doctor finds himself in a similar situation again, but I don't know if it's that he feels an unusual connection to Bill or what, but he does seem to be a little bit clingier, I think, with Bill than he was with some of the other companions before her in that same scenario. Well, of course, there you know there might be that, but there's also the fact that the minute that they show up at the house, he's immediately intrigued by the house and wants to stick around to explore because right. the trees right. are creaking and moving, but there's no wind. Right. So, um, well, it just makes me it makes me curious if we're going to continue to see this dynamic, though. Right. Once Peter Capaldi moves on and Chibnall takes over, it, it makes me curious if they're going to continue that dynamic or if it's going to go back to the way it was in the classic series and in the Davies portion of the series to where the companion is living with the doctor in the TARDIS once again. Yeah. I, I don't know. And. It also makes me wonder, you know, if we're going to see this aspect of 12 and Bill's relationship continue to crop up in subsequent episodes, or if this was just a one-time thing where she's like, oh, I'm going to try and go live on my own with all these other students, and right. that'll be great. Um, and then maybe, you know, <laughs> after this, they won't have a chance to find a place to live all together. Although I'd like to see this group back again. It would be fun. Yeah, it would be fun. You know, we almost maybe, didn't get them back, though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it makes me wonder if this aspect is going to be just a one-off for this episode or if that's going to continue to show back up every so often during the rest of the season. So, I don't know. We'll have to see. I do know that I am I'm thoroughly enjoying Bill as a companion at this point. Oh my you know. gosh, yes. She's <laughs> fan-flippin-tastic. And it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny when she starts trying to hide who he is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My granddad. And I love how he goes, oh, come on, father, please. Okay, grandfather. Which is a direct callback to Susan. <laughs> I just got that. Oh, my because, God. Because she was always running around saying, grandfather, grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just got that. But, but, I mean, he's, he's implying, oh, come on, I don't look old enough to be your right. grandfather. I'm obviously your dad here. She goes, oh, of course, right, grandfather. Oh, oh nice. man. It was great. <laughs> and she keeps trying to shoo him out and all that stuff. But we yeah. also get introduced to, uh, a little bit more to the landlord. and his yeah. uh, He's not quite as benevolent as he first appeared when he was showing them the house and offering them this wonderful deal. <laughs> he's a little weird. All right. I have to ask. Okay. He had a very, very underplayed persona for a villain in this episode. What did you think about that underplayed aspect of that character? Did it make it creepier for you, or did it? Oh, totally. <laughs> what, what makes it really creepy for me 
is I have watched David Suchet hit the entire series yeah. of Poirot. So seeing him as the hero, <laughs> you know, detective Hercule Poirot um, is something I'm used to seeing. And so seeing that actor in this type of role is very unnerving because this guy's the hero. This guy's supposed to be the nice guy, the good guy. He's the one who's supposed to make everything better. But he's the one. But now he's the one that's making it all worse. Kind of like watching David Tennant play the villain in Jessica Jones. That is so unnerving. Oh my gosh! That it, oh it it makes you feel dirty all over. It just makes you feel like <laughs> that, that you're makes you feel like you're watching torture porn or something. You know? Oh, I didn't uh, need to know that. Yeah. <laughs> well. W- it's like you're watching somebody be beaten with a baseball bat or something, you know, in live action or something. That's how dirty it makes you feel, you know, watching the the, the 10th Doctor play this horrible, horrible person on screen. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go back and watch Jessica Jones and you will see what I mean. It literally just, oh, it was horrifying. <laughs> After that description, I don't think I want to. Um, well, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Back to the landlord and David Suchet. Uh, it was funny because he was definitely understated and creepy um, and just a little yeah. off the whole time. But there were always these little things that, you know, are part of his new his nuances yeah. as, as an actor that were so integral to Poirot that I'm just like, oh, my gosh, Poirot, why are you creepy? You know, sometimes it's the... <laughs> So sometimes it's the way he would like t- turn his yeah. head and look back at the camera. I was like, "Oh, that's not Poirot, not Poirot." What what I kept seeing was something hidden behind his eyes. Yeah, it, it was like he he had this blank expression on his face. Yeah, but behind his eyes, you just got this horrifying stare or this this just underlined current of darkness. You know. And you couldn't really put your finger on it, but it was just right. there all the time, you yeah. know? <laughs> and it, it broke to the surface a couple of times. Yeah. Like when the doctor kept pressing him about information. He's like, I think you must leave. And then he softens back or... down a little bit. <laughs> I like yeah. how one of the, the the Scooby gang says, I take it back. I like you more. He's the creepy one or something like that. <laughs> or when when he asked him, how do you get into the tower? And he says, you don't, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. That, that's, that's what it was. You don't. And, and I, it was almost like watching, um, Andy Serkis's Gollum on Lord of the Rings when he changes on right. you know, the, the turn of a dime, you know? And, right. and I was like, Ooh, and that happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> and now, now before, you know, we realized what it was, what did you think of his whole tuning fork thing? Like before we realized what he was using that for, honestly, I really, I had difficulty figuring it out at first. Um, it wasn't until... Was it creepy, though? It was unnerving, I'll put it that way. Because yes, because you're sitting there with this, this dark curiosity in the back of your mind thinking, I don't know what he's doing with that, but I know it's not good. <laughs> you know? Right. And right. it wasn't until you got to the scene where he takes the needle off of the record player yeah that you suddenly realize that all of this is sound based yes <laughs> you know which is kind of interesting because this is our second episode in a row that we had something that was mm-hmm. attached to sound yes we do um 
So oh man, yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, the walls and the floors are eating people. Is the idea that we're left <laughs> at the very beginning here? Yeah. And we go into Pavel's room, who has not been seen since everybody moved in. Right. But they're hearing his music playing, and oh, he just does that. <laughs> nobody just does that, according to the doctor. Um, but nobody can figure out why it's playing the same thing over and over and over again. Nobody's <laughs> really paying attention to that either. Um, <laughs> until Bill and Shireen go and check it out. This is another thing when I, that I was talking about when I said horror tropes, because that is a trope in some of these horror movies where you're watching this thing and it should be so obvious to somebody, hey, maybe we should check this out because something's not right here. Nobody notices it. Right. You go halfway through the movie and nobody notices it. And the and the entire audience is sitting there going, hey, idiot, open that door. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like in the horror movie where they should clearly run down the stairs and go out the front door. But what do they do? They go upstairs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> to the attic where yeah. there's no escape. Exactly. And I'm like, no. <laughs> It's like the commercial where they're being chased by the serial killer. I think, I can't remember. It might have been a Geico commercial or something like that. I but, think it was. And they're like, let's go get into the running car. And then the girl, the other girl goes, no, let's go hide over there in the barn full of hanging chainsaws. Right. You know? And the whole punchline was, if you're in a horror movie, you make bad decisions. Yes. <laughs> if you switch I'm to like, Geico, you could say 50% of more on car it's what you do. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> it's so, so bad. bad. <laughs> oh, man. But but they, they finally go into Pavel's room, and we see Pavel, like, half-eaten by the wall. And that was creepy. Yes. That was freaky as all get out. I, that was probably the most disturbing image yeah. <laughs> of the entire episode for me. That flashes up on the screen, and the first thing, I wasn't even realizing it, the first thing that popped out of my mouth to my wife was, well, that's not disturbing at all. <laughs> I didn't even realize I was saying it. It just fell out, you know? Right. I was like, oh, hey. It was those eyes. Those eyes just were, oh, my God. Oh, dude. Nope. whole lot of nope with that. Um, but but I'm really happy that we're getting that quality of special effects and stuff in yeah. the show to where yeah. It literally looks real. You know what I'm uh, saying? No, it was. I mean, <laughs> it was good. And we're like, we're finally figuring out that sound oh, is helping wow. to trigger this because, <laughs> of course, the landlord yeah. walks in and he <laughs> takes the needle off the record and the wall finishes its job and it swallows oh, wow. into itself. Yeah. And he was happy about and it. And then he gets all, he gets all <laughs> creepy. Like he's like, oh, look at that. And he rubs his hands along the wall. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> I think it's not. Oh, let's go. Um, and this is probably the creepiest part of the episode was the running through the house with all the doors and shutters slamming shut. Yeah. And there's nowhere to go. <laughs> Including outside. <laughs> right. Because if you go outside, the trees will get you. <laughs> Sorry, Felicity. Oh, dude. Um <laughs> See, this, I, and I, honestly, I, I probably need to go back and finish watching the, the movie, but um, there was, it was a movie that I watched, uh, I think, last year, where 
these people went on an expedition of some type and they made it to these ruins um, and the vines were trying to kill them, you know, <laughs> so they couldn't oh. get away. They were stuck, you know, and I, I it might've been called the ruins. I can't remember, but um, yeah, I'll have to go back and figure and remember out what, what that was and finish watching that movie. But I, I got about three quarters of the way through the movie and I had to leave and go do something and I never came back and finished it. And <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> sort of the same kind of vibe. It was like, yeah, this situation makes you feel completely hopeless. Like there's absolutely no yeah. way to escape. Yeah. Because <laughs> even even the plant life will eat you, you know? <laughs> right. And everyone is trapped inside, oh. um, including the doctor and Bill. Well, let's talk about the house real quick, because that was something else I wanted to bring up. The house is almost like a character in and of itself at this point. Yeah. It's also almost like an extension of Landlord. Well, it, it has the same vibe and the same characteristics as the house from the Amityville horror movie. You know, it's very iconic, very distinctive in the way that it looks, you know. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. It's, I actually like that house. I thought it was really cool. <laughs> It's pretty cool. Um, there was a brief moment there where I thought that the landlord might actually be like a physical manifestation of the house mm -hmm. until we figured out what was going on inside the house. Right. You know, like the house produced him to be like this go-between. <laughs> <laughs> like so he'd show up when the house needed him to. Um but then, you know, that obviously was not the case. We have seen similar things to that. <laughs> we, we have. We have. But that was obviously not the case here. But the way he just sort of, like, showed up and disappeared. The cause of Exos? Mm. Mm. I'm just saying. Mm. That was something that happened in the cause of Exos. <laughs> it is. That is true. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, you really hate that, that story, don't you? Uh, I don't, like, hate it, but I don't like constantly bringing it up, either. It's, it's not great. I'm just making analogies. And there are better stories to talk about. Like this oh. one. <laughs> that being said, um, I'm sure there's other things you want to bring up and talk about. Well, how did you feel about it when they, f they first showed the first person actually get completely consumed on screen mm. you know where, um, the where the staircase opens up and swallows his foot yeah <laughs> that was so weird you know and and then you know it these things just come up out of the floor and he's just completely dissolved almost you know and there's nothing left right by the the doctor calls yeah. them dryads well, why do you call them that? Well, what else am I going to call them? <laughs> you know? Well, he's comparing them to, like, the fairy legends. Uh, what are they? Greek, I think, fairy legends or something of right. uh, the, the woodland creatures that, that carry you to your death or something, yeah. I think. I don't know. I don't remember uh, if it's Greek or maybe it's but, uh, um, English, actually. I don't remember. But <laughs> there's a bunch of those legends. I watched it with my three-year-old today, and my three-year-old was like, uh, I think I'm going to go sit on a couch with you. <laughs> 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 Those things took that guy out, and he looks at me, and he looks at the screen, and he just slowly walks over and climbs up on the couch and snuggles all the way up under my arm. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to stop watching Doctor Who, but he didn't want those things to get him either. So, <laughs> uh, oh, no, here's man. the definition of a dryad. A dryad is a tree nymph in uh, or a tree spirit in Greek mythology. 
Um, and uh, so basically it's like uh, a woodland creature that's kind of mischievous and kind of uh, messes with you to to uh, cause accidents to happen to you and things like that. Yeah. So, But uh, we quickly find out, especially in that scene, that these dryads, as the doctor calls them, are working sort of at the behest of the landlord. Why, do you ask? Well, that secret is hidden away, locked up, in the tower, like Rapunzel. Well, the biggest reason is because he's making offerings to them to feed them. Yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> but why is he making offerings to them is the big question. And uh, we we first assume that this is his daughter mm -hmm. because he's mentioned yeah. his daughter before, right? Uh, to you know, to the doctor in conversation when he's trying to get the doctor to leave and. You know, it's okay to let go of your charge, your ward, your, you know, your granddaughter. It's it's all right. See, that's a direct callback to Susan, too. Because that's what he did to yeah. Susan. He just it is. basically discharged her out into the world. Right. So <laughs> He let her go. Yeah. And so you could tell by the look on his face. Right. That's what he's thinking about when he brings that up. Right. You know. <laughs> Uh, but the landlord has this daughter hidden away, who is basically wood now. She apparently, we learn, was very, very sick. Um, and the only thing that kept her alive were these dryads by kind of turning her into this living wood thing. Uh, which was weird, but... Okay. It kind of reminded me of the wooden people in the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, uh, just a little bit. Except those didn't look quite as menacing no. <laughs> in their external appearance as this one did. Yeah, she was not very... Um, yeah. I mean, she acted kind, <laughs> but she looked kind of freaky. Um, so that <laughs> juxtaposition, of course, is just unnerving to begin with. That being said... Through conversation and deduction, uh, we come to realize that this has been happening for 70 years. These offerings have been happening for 70 years. And in order to keep this woman alive, no. this young woman alive, and in the, she's not aging either. So she's kind of in this state of perpetual stasis um, as a wooden person. And it's affecting her memory, too. And through the deductions of the Doctor and Bill, we discover that the Landlord is not this woman's father, as he claims. Uh, the woman's name is Eliza, by the way. Yes. Eliza is the Landlord's mother. He's her son. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was a twist I did not see coming. Yeah, see, I was telling my wife today, this would have made a perfect episode to have released next weekend, right before Mother's Day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm. Just saying, you know. Um. <laughs> did you see that coming, that twist coming? No, actually, I didn't. I... Well, it, uh, until I started thinking about the fact that it didn't make as much sense for him to have brought something like that to his daughter. Right. 
uh, which the doctor brings up basically right along the same time that I'm thinking this, the doctor mm -hmm. is kind of speaking what's in my head. And, uh, then by the time the doctor had it figured out, I had figured it out as well, you know? And, right. uh, so it was almost this, a lot of times I'll have something like that figured out ahead of time, but this time it was almost like the doctor was doing a running commentary of what was going on in my mind, you know? <laughs> and so, so yeah, uh, but no, I, I, I kind of liked the twist. I thought that it was interesting because it was something that a little boy would do for his mom, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was almost a kind of a twist on the whole psycho Norman Bates thing because, uh, you know, going back to classic horror tropes and stuff, you know, Norman Bates thought he was protecting his mother, even though his mother was dead. This time it was kind of the flip side. It was this kid is protecting his mother who no one knows is still alive, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so you kind of see how both of them kind of had a psychological break there at, at one point or another to make them behave this way. Right. Yeah. And it's, it was so very interesting to watch, watch the landlord change from this, uh, this man who seemed very much in charge, very much in control to a child as it was revealed who this woman was. Yeah. That was very, very subtly and skillfully done, you know. Yes. Uh, to see this man who's clearly uh, in his late 70s or whatever, because um, I figured he was probably about eight or nine years old when this originally happened. You know? Right. Um, so he's clearly probably 78, 79 years old. And he literally, at at the point where he can't deny anything anymore, he literally kind of melts back into this you know, eight or nine year old kid. Right. And it's just, it's so well played. And I mean, I don't think I would have wanted to see anybody else play that part, you know, no. because it was so well done, you know, <laughs> I love David Suchet. Uh, apparently, apparently he was offered the role and he said yes, without even looking at the script. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> um, that's pretty cool. Um, it kind of almost makes me wish, though, that they had asked him to play a future incarnation of the Master. I wanted yeah. him to play the Doctor. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> that being said, uh, oh. it all ends when Mom takes control, decides <laughs> that they're, that this is it's time for this to end, and she reasserts her dominance, and she's got control of the Dryads, which are indeed alien bugs from space you know that yeah somehow landed on Earth. they even have little headlights they do <laughs> they do um on their antenna it's kind of freaky um and they move through wood at an atomic level so they they just pass yeah, through it rather than you know crawl through cracks <laughs> so that's that's weird. weird yes very weird um but she decides it's time for all of this to end and she takes control back uh she and the landlord die there in the tower um she starts right releasing all of bill's friends from this you know horrible horrible day from their various um places of 
at consumption. Um, <laughs> is that the right word? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Right. Um, and, and then the house begins to fall apart as well. Does you take that to mean that the dryads are, are dead as well? No, I don't. You don't? No. I take that to mean that they might come back at some point in the future. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> See, and, and that's another thing. Um, the, the house starts to crumble. Not necessarily crumble, but be, it begins to, how would you put it, to disintegrate, I guess yes. would be the best way to put it. That's a bad case of termites. Uh, as the bugs take it apart. And my wife goes, hmm, the fall of the House of Usher. <laughs> so so I, I was like, okay, another horror trope, you know. Um, and so then I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, those, those bugs never went away on screen. They never died on screen. They're still out there somewhere. But the crazy part is that the doctor just casually walks away from the house with this big smile on his face and tells these kids, well, I guess you'll have to find yourself another place to live. Better luck next time. And walks away. And I'm like, dude. Do you get the idea that the dryads are normally that carnivorous when it comes to humans? Or is it, this uh, I, a special situation? I don't know. I just know that he knows it's an alien species. He knows it's still right. on Earth. It seems like that there would need to be some kind of a control there. You know what I'm saying? And so it was It was very, for me, it was almost like, uh, it was almost like some of the old uh, Baker episodes that we had seen in the past where he gets to the end of it. There's a resolution to the immediate problem but there's still something floating around out there that could go wrong in the future. And he doesn't acknowledge it and just smiles and walks away. Right. You know? <laughs> and I'm going, um, but what about doctor? Hello, doc, what, what about doctor? You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, we'll see that come back up in the future. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's the way that ending felt to me because, I have seen that kind of thing happen before in and, and not just in, in Tom Baker episodes, but in other episodes as well, where the doctor leaves not thinking about the fact that there's still something that could go wrong out there with what he just walked away from. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Oh man. All right. Oh yeah. <laughs> then then we come to the last scene of the episode. <laughs> Um, oh, wow. and we walk in oh. on Nardle messing with the control panel on this vault. He finally got something to activate on it. Right. You know, he got something to activate on it and he's talking <laughs> to whatever is inside. Do you think he knows what it is? Last week I said no, but this week I'm not so sure. I'm starting to think that he might. Yeah. And, and the, here's another thing. I'm just going to be blunt. This vault thing is starting to to piss me off <laughs> because <laughs> please please explain um, you start this thing out thinking that the doctor is hiding something that could hurt people or, or you know 
hiding like a weapon or or something to the effect of um, uh, a villainous entity or something that could be a, a massive threat and the reason why he doesn't want anybody to find it is because he doesn't want them to get their hands on it so that they can release it. But the further that you go into this, the more it feels like it's not an artifact, it's not a weapon, it, it, you're starting to feel like it's not even a villain because he went inside to hang out with it. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, what the crap is going on? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, I mean, not only does he go inside, but he's brought oh, in a piano. Yes. Um, it's playing Beethoven, and you know, which has Nardole all flummoxed. Um, and the doctor shoes Nardole away, his conscience away, so that he can open up the vault and go inside to bring it Mexican food. I'm starting to think that we're actually looking at him protecting one of his previous incarnations. Mm, I don't know. Uh, the two theories that I'm seeing <laughs> get a lot of play are very interesting. One mm -hmm. is that this is John Sim's master. This could make sense because we know the doctor has tried to save the master before. Mm -hmm. And if this is sort of a resurrection of a incarnation of the master, Perhaps he's trying to keep the lid on it for now, uh, so Missy doesn't get wind of it for one, and so he can try and have a better influence on it it's, for another. It's very possible. Uh, we do know there's a relationship and a history there that we don't know all the details about. So that's one theory that I've seen. But the other theory that I'm seeing get a lot of play is even more interesting. This is the next regeneration. He's cooking his next regeneration in this vault. In a sense. And that, but how does that work? I, I don't know. But <laughs> we've had instances where the previous or the current incarnation and the next incarnation have interacted together before, a.k.a. Tom Baker and the Watcher, which ends up being the fifth Doctor. And when he regenerates, the Watcher shows back up and sort of they morph into one and then the fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, is what comes out at the end. Yeah. So is he sort of like creating who his ideal next face is going to be? Is They have said that we're going to get a regeneration unlike any we've ever seen before. I don't know. Now, I'm not saying, that, I'm not I... saying this theory is true, but it's a fascinating one to think hmm. about. Maybe. I mean, is, is is this the next regeneration that he's keeping locked away until such a time as it's needed? I just don't know how that would work. I really, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know either. But like I said, we've had the instance before. It's not out of I'm, the realm of possibility. I'm not going to say it's impossible. I just don't know how it would work. Well, of course you don't. You know, we don't know all the details. Um, He'll explain it, maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I still, I still want to say that it's not something directly tied to his regeneration I, I, I don't know I just I, I still want to say that but 
it's yeah it's definitely possible i just don't know how that that would play out you know um the other thing there's another theory that i've had that i've mm -hmm. thought of now is there's a rumor that clara is supposed to show back up for the christmas special is this clara is he keeping her locked away to avoid you know making a further mess of things is this a shielder well is this a shielder (laughs) who he's honestly i I would be more likely to think that it would be a shielder than Clara because he's not supposed to remember Clara. Right. True. Um, now, on the flip side of that, I know that there's rumors that say that Clara is supposed to be in the Christmas special. However, there's also rumors that the first Doctor is supposed to be in the Christmas special. Yes. And we have situations in past episodes where Clara, being the impossible girl, has already met the first doctor right so my thing is what if we're seeing the events like we heard in the previous rumors that you know they, this was maybe going to have something to do with the 50th anniversary special what if we're seeing the the events from the other side from capaldi's eyes and clara just simply has a cameo in there because she happened to be involved in the story in the 50th anniversary episode mm. see what i mean yeah okay that would be interesting if we did you know um even if it was just on a on a video screen or something no there's a possibility does that mean we'll see matt smith again hmm (laughs) you know of course it could also just be they're bringing back jenna coleman to you know film some scenes from a memory that the doctor has reawoken right before he regenerates you know that sort of thing but that being said let's get back to this vault (laughs) (laughs) I will say What's this. What's going on here? We're getting we're getting better and better looks at this thing as the season progresses, and this thing very clearly has Gallifreyan symbols on it. Yes. So I do know that whatever the vault is, the vault itself is Gallifreyan. I do know that. It is. It is. It is Time Lord technology, which means it could be bigger on the inside than the outside, and all likelihood it is. Um, well, so it could be an entire city that he's got locked away in the basement. Um, <laughs> in all likelihood though it's it's a, right. a house or a couple of rooms but <laughs> that being said oh this is weird oh. who could it be oh. what if the vault is actually an earlier incarnation of the TARDIS with a different outside now we're getting weird <laughs> what if he's protecting <laughs> Susan in the vault? That's a possibility too. We're getting all these references yeah. and links back to her. You know, what if we get to see Susan at the end of all this? I mean, I don't know. Now we're just sort of running down rabbit holes. Oh. Uh-oh. Oh. If you think about that, if there's a reason why he would be protecting Susan in that vault, either the younger or the older incarnation, that could be a direct callback to having a reason why he sees the first Doctor in the Christmas special because it gives the first Doctor an opportunity to have closure with Susan before he regenerates into the second incarnation of the Doctor. Now we're getting <laughs> convoluted. <laughs> As if it already wasn't. Because, you know, he told her he would come back and then he, yes. re- he regenerated yeah, he before he ever yeah. came back. And, you know with the Swiss cheese memory and the whole nine yards, um, it never gave him an opportunity to have real closure with her. That's so that's true. Yeah. 
Oh. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. All right, we're <laughs> running about down about thirteen different rabbit holes here. So let's let's bring things back to the episode. <laughs> knock knock. Um, is there anything else from this episode that you want to bring up before we we start wrapping things up? Scooby Snacks. Scooby Snacks. Scooby Doo. I know, right? Oh. Oh, yeah. no, this was a, this actually, even though it was a horror-based episode, this actually turned out to be a really fun story overall. Um, oh, because yeah. you didn't have, it wasn't overly dark, you know, um, and because it wasn't overly dark, you still had a little bit of that whimsy and stuff that we've come to enjoy with Doctor Who. And so... Mm-hmm. I thought I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really I felt like that it was a good blend with what we've gotten so far um, with the, even the last couple of series. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I'm at a point now where I'm literally angry about the fact that Peter Capaldi's not going to stay on for another season. You know, because <laughs> I really feel like that this is him in his stride as this character. And one of the reasons why he says he's leaving is because he's afraid that he won't be able to continue to do the character justice and he wants to leave on a high note, you know? So yeah, yeah, it's, it's bittersweet because it, we're getting something that is going back to the doctor who that we all love and know so well from before and we are going to end up losing the person that is integral in bringing that back to us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, let's do final thoughts and ratings on this. Um, let's see. How many broken records are we going to rate this episode? Broken records? Why not wood lice? <laughs> <laughs> Because there's way more wood lice than we have uh, numbers to rate. Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, in comparison to what we've gotten so far, I'm going to give this one an eight and a half because I really I enjoyed this one. You know, um, I actually wish that it was a little bit longer. To be honest with you, um, I, I could have I could have gotten behind another five minutes or better of story put into this. So I, I enjoyed it enough. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said before, I may be shooting myself in the foot when we end up getting a you know, a 10 episode and I'm going, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to give it an 11, you know, but, um, yeah, but no, I, I'm, uh, call me, call me a, a geek, call me a fanboy, whatever. I'm, I'm enjoying this season a lot more than, than uh, I think a lot of people were maybe even anticipating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, really like this episode. Um, horror is not exactly my thing, as we have all talked about. Um, that being said, this was really well done. This was definitely very much a Doctor Who, you know, type episode. Uh, with new <laughs> monsters in the walls and uh, running and running and running until yeah. we find the answers um, and then escaping <laughs> by the skin of our teeth uh, sort of thing. Um, so I'm going to give this an eight. This is a solid, solid eight. This is a, a very good episode. 
um, David Suchet uh, and Peter Capaldi need to have a show together because they worked so well playing <laughs> off each other. Um, and I, I loved both of their characters. And Bill was just great to, you know, Pearl Mackey is just great to throw in the mix there to, you know, spice things up with those two. So um, I want her for next season. I'm, I know, I know. We can't. <laughs> she had better not leave. They had better find some way to keep her. Or, or I'm going to be writing a very angrily worded letter uh, and sending it all the way over to England. I will find a way to put as much postage as I need to, you know, even if it's $37.52 <laughs> of postage, to send that to Chris Chibnall to personally say, you dumbhead, why'd you get rid of her? Um, well, not only I this, will say dumbhead. The, the dynamic of her character opposite of a freshly reincarnated doctor mm -hmm. just seeing her reaction to all of that and how that affects their relationship and everything right especially now and don't get me wrong i a, the age of the doctor is not what's really important to me you know i don't really care if he's a younger doctor or an older doctor or whatever i just care if he is the doctor you right know? right but especially though if he is someone that would be kind of her contemporary or her her uh, same age range and she's just gotten used to seeing him as more like her grandfather and not knowing how to act towards him now with this new face that could be really interesting to see well, you know and especially you know they've got this very you know nice you know teacher student relationship where not only is he teaching her you know school stuff but He's also teaching her about the wider galaxy and things beyond, you know, normal human observation. Um, and so what if the, we get someone right. who's more of a, of a goofball or an adventurer, someone who doesn't like to teach, and they just he just wants to run off and do stuff? And what happens then for her, you know? Imagine if we finally got the doctor's inner child. You have wanted that ever <laughs> since we started this podcast. Imagine if we got like that actor who's like 14 or 15 years old playing this 2000 year old <laughs> character. <laughs> and <laughs> right. I just think it would right. be really entertaining to see it, even if it was just for one season, because I think that it would be one of those scenarios where he would walk into the room, he'd be the smartest man in the room. And everybody would look at him and say, get out of here, kid, you're bothering me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he would not only have to overcome the adversity of the threat that's happening in the story, he would have to overcome everybody's lower expectations of him as a person. You know? <laughs> and I just, I think seeing that switch... Are you old enough to have that TARDIS license? Right. And, and I think seeing that dynamic change between Bill being someone who's young enough to possibly be his granddaughter to Bill looking like she should be his nanny <laughs> would be really, really funny. You know what right. I'm saying? <laughs> I think that could yeah. be really fun. Um, and let's be honest, they'll probably never ever do anything like that, but I think it could bring right. a whole nother level right. of downplayed humor to the show, you know? <laughs> the problem is going to be able to get, the problem is going to be, uh, can you get someone who looks younger than Matt Smith to play the doctor as well as everybody else? Um, 
Matt oh. Smith was a baby enough as it was. I know, um, right? <laughs> all right. Anyway. Oh. Well, this has been fun. Uh, this has been a good episode. We should start wrapping this up. So if you want to weigh in on Knock Knock and have your thoughts read on next week's episode, please uh, go and connect with us on our social media, uh, facebook.com slash talkingtimelords, where you can find the link to our group, or you can just respond there on the page as well. You can also tweet us at at talkingtimelord, or email us at talkingtimelords at gmail.com if you have uh, longer thoughts, or if you have uh, if you want to record yourself with a little mp3 file, send that in that way as well. Uh, you can also find links to all of our social media and links to all of our previously released episodes on our website, which is talkingtimelords.com. Um, Please leave us a rating and review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you find our lovely little podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. And if you so desire, please check out the Thunderquack uh, Patreon page at patreon.com slash thunderquack. If you want to support the show and the network at large, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, Paul, did I miss anything? Mm. Anything else? Not really that I can think of other than we want everybody to make sure that they tell every single one of their friends yes. about our podcast. Yes, please spread it around. <laughs> Make it infect your friends like the dryads infected the house with our show. Yes, because that's not creepy at all. Nope. <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to wrap up this episode because I just weirded myself out. Um, oh. <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, this episode of Talking Time Lords, this has been episode number 69, Scooby-Hoo's Haunted House. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time, may you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. Now we're in infestation. <laughs> hey, I want to infect as many people as we can. <laughs>